This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online with me, Sarah Tasker. This is episode 51. This week's episode is all about journaling and writing, but writing yourself happy. That's the name of the new book by Megan Hayes, who I first met when she wrote a blog about 10 years ago when she and I were both fresh-faced babies on the internet. I lost touch with Megan's work and reconnected with her recently on Instagram and was so excited to see what she'd been working on. So I called her up to find out all the details. Hi, Megan. Welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hi. It's so great to be here. Lovely to be here. Could you give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you do for anyone listening? Yes. So I'm Dr. Megan C. Hayes. I'm an author and an academic. I teach uh, creative writing and I research writing and well-being. And I'm particularly passionate about journaling as a way to promote and support mental health and happiness. Fantastic. I'm, I'm going to give people a little bit of background about how I know about your work, actually. Okay, because... great. So I first came across your work, Megan, back when we were both blogging in the early days did you say it's about 2008 back when we were students yeah and you had a blog back then tell us a little bit about your was that your first blog yes it was my very first blog I was really inspired by uh, Gala Darling I used to read her blog I don't know do you know her yes yes yeah she's huge and I, I was just I don't know how I stumbled across her I think she had an article about being a writer how to be a writer or something and I found that and then I just I I didn't ever follow many blogs really, but I just loved hers. And then I kind of was inspired by that. And her kind of uh, raison d'etre was was style and living, you know, you're the best version of yourself and that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, this is fun. I want to do something like this. And because I was starting university, it was it coincided with a big transition in my life. So I thought I'll start one about being a student and do, applying that same kind of way of living to student life, which can be portrayed as a bit, <laughs> a bit of a down and down and out time when you haven't got much uh, two red cents to rub together so that's where it started and then gradually I got I started with sort of style and fashion and then I got more interested in well-being and I sort of broadened um, my subject matter and I, I ran that blog for about four years and then it kind of it came to a natural end but it was it sort of just yeah it was my university life that it charted which is quite nice. The reason I remember it so clearly is there was well there's a few things I remember but one was a series you wrote and you probably won't remember the details of this but on dream style and okay. the reason I remember that so clearly is I've been talking about the lesson it taught me ever since anyone who's taken like a class with me or a workshop has probably heard me mention this concept and because I always believe in giving credit where it's due like for a long time I linked back to your site when it was still there I know it's not there oh. anymore <laughs> but this notion that you talked about it was in relation to clothing but really about kind of paring down and finding the difference between all the different things that you like and the things mm-hmm. that actually reflect you and oh. your own individual style so thank you for teaching me that <laughs> oh you're so welcome it's really interesting to see this kind of ripples out from something that you did and I'm really glad that it's had such a positive impact on your work it's like it's so strange because yeah it's, it's almost difficult for me to remember everything I had to say but it's still something I hold dear as a concept I think that kind of distilling what's really fantastic and unique about you whether it's in your work or in your style and then just going going for it with with pride and in a way that's exactly what you've done career-wise so what was really lovely for me is I suddenly 
was like, I'm, I bet she's on Instagram. Like, she was always on the internet. She'll be on Instagram. <laughs> She'll be there somewhere. <laughs> so I went looking for you and found you. And then was able to catch up on all the stuff that you've been doing since. So tell us about what you've been doing since. Okay, so I um, my first degree was in creative writing. And I loved writing. It's always been my passion. Um, but I became more and more interested in the concept of writing for well-being, kind of therapeutic arts sort of way. And But I'd never, I'd always had an interest in psychology, but I'd never felt like I really wanted to study the, the, the dark side of human nature so much. I found it fascinating, but I thought, mm, I'm not sure I, I want to go there. It's mm. sort of, you have to be really prepared if you're going to dedicate your life to that, I think. So I'd, I'd never pursued that. I didn't even do psychology A-level. But then I came across the field of positive psychology, which looks at questions about resilience and creativity and concepts like post-traumatic growth, which is when people go through challenges and, and they sort of wouldn't change that. They come out better for it. And everything that we can learn about what goes right with, with humans in a sort of preventative way rather than what goes wrong. So um, I found out about the, the Masters in Applied Positive Psychology, which runs at University of East London. And I was thrilled that you didn't need a psychology undergrad to go and study it because it's an applied applied science. So we had people from education backgrounds or uh, corporate backgrounds. So I was able to go and do that. And then I uh, found a specific area of scientific research, which is called expressive writing, which looks at how when people write particularly about challenges there's been more research done there they can experience not only emotional health benefits but actual physical health benefits so I found that of course really fascinating and so I did my master's dissertation on that which is actually the, that that research that I went on to publish is the basis of my book Write Yourself Happy and then I was just so enamored with it as a subject matter I thought I've gone on this strange journey where I started with creative writing I went into psychology but look they they go together so I decided to do a PhD and do some more research on it so that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years and yeah as I said during that time I I wrote my book based on my master's research which is coming out uh, on Thursday I have a copy here I feel very privileged it's a beautiful <laughs> book um, and I've been dipping into it I've only had it for a couple of days but could you give people kind of I guess a bit of a synopsis of, of what you take them through in the book okay so it's write yourself happy the art of positive journaling and it's based on a study I did that I took a group of journal writers uh, they all had experience of journal writing previously and ask them to try journal writing through the lens of a range of positive emotions. So most people have heard of the concept of a gratitude journal. It's quite a popular mm. uh, technique that you hear about, and I think it's a lovely practice. But something that always sort of stuck in my mind when I heard about gratitude journals was what about all the other positive emotions that there are, not you know beyond gratitude? And I think gratitude is a lovely emotion, but it can maybe feel it's difficult to feel it every single day you know if you have a really rubbish day it's not it's hard to maybe say the things that you're grateful for mm -hmm. but there's a whole kind of gamut there's a whole spectrum of positive emotions beyond that so things like serenity or hope or uh, love and other things that we could bring into our journal writing so um the book is based on the outcome of that experiment, as it were. It was, a, it was a pilot qualitative kind of exploratory study. And what I found was really interesting because what was a really common theme um, when I was discussing with the participants was that their typical journal writing was kind of a, this purgative, cathartic thing, which is a, which is a really traditional way that the that we look at the arts, like a way to dispel our bad feelings mm -hmm. or you know just get it get it all out on the on the page and it, and that idea has never really sat quite right with me as a creative person because yes absolutely the, the arts 
have that function. But there's so much more that happens that's really, really positive, like elements of our identity that are formed. And, you know, there's a concept in psychology called self-efficacy, which is the feeling that you're capable, the feeling that you can do things and set your mind to it and achieve it. And I think that's a lovely thing that we develop in creative pursuits. So what I found was people were using their journals typically that way to kind of just purge. And then when, when they introduced these positive emotions, a lot of other things were happening. They were kind of shifting their perspectives, as you could imagine, just sort of looking at things from in a different way, from a different perspective. And that they were feeling a bit more directed. So what I came to find was there was a sense of rather than just processing their feelings on the page of their journal, they were getting a sense that they'd kind of progressed. So they'd gone somewhere, they'd gone on a bit of a journey and it hadn't stopped them writing about the more difficult stuff. But uh, one word that was lovely that um, was used to describe it was was you were kind of anchored back to your positive emotions. And I, I'm just generally really passionate about focusing on things that go right in life and not only you know, <laughs> zoning in on what goes wrong, not, not to ignore what goes wrong, not at all, but positive emotions you know, they're not just pleasant side effects of life. They're they're kind of core tools that we have in our arsenal, you know, for evolutionarily speaking. And they're, they're how we learn. They're how we bond with each other. They're such important emotions. And, and I think they can be kind of unfairly portrayed as being a bit frivolous or the, or the word happy can be a bit throwaway. And it's it's so much more than that. It's such a, an important part of the human experience. So it's it's just kind of a new, a fresh look at journal writing as something more than just being cathartic. But what are all these really positive things that we could build in a journal practice rather than just sort of healing, healing the wounds when they happen kind of thing? One thing that struck me when I was reading through it, actually, and, and again, when you were talking about it, then is it's almost quite similar to the way a lot of people use their Instagram accounts in that it's kind of focusing on the positives and not necessarily dwelling on the negatives. I think we find it easier if we're doing that on a broadcasting level where other people can see it. We're maybe not as good at doing it for ourselves. I think that's, yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, because I think what you're doing on Instagram is, is curating, of course, aren't you? Sort mm. of polishing up the, the diamonds of experience, which is why Instagram is such a lovely platform, I think. And yeah, I just don't think we spend enough time generally. I think, well, it's interesting because there's this real self-care kind of revolution. So you're yeah. hearing a lot more about it now. But traditionally, I just don't think people spend enough time, I don't know, just ha- just checking in with themselves. I like to use the analogy of, you know, if, you, if you're going shopping, you write a shopping list because you don't trust your brain to remember that you need toothpaste or you need tea bags or something but how often do we really stop and check in about what career do I want or you know having an actual (laughs) conversation with yourself and not just not just being on autopilot and not just turning to to journal writing as a way to get out what's troubling you but to actually think of of curating your life yeah I think that's a really nice way of looking at it similarly to Instagram kind of putting the puzzle pieces together what's going really right here hmm how could I do a bit more of that or how could I look at this thing from this perspective and I think that's a really interesting point yeah there was an episode I recorded a little while ago with Andrew Johnson who teaches meditation through apps and he spoke about how we are all so good at filling all of our time now with like news and emails and constantly distracting ourselves with Netflix so that there's never any time for that kind of reflection Mm. so he he thinks meditation has a really important role in that but it sounds like what you're describing is almost like a meditation as well but kind of a little bit more practical yeah it's funny that you say that actually because I was just last week on the positive psychology podcast if anyone listens to that I'm on episode 106 (laughs) 
<laughs> wants to go and listen. And I got exactly the same question. Is is it similar to meditation? And in so many ways, it is it's such a, a meditative act, writing, I think, because it grounds you to the spot. You have to be quiet. You have to find a kind of quiet corner to do it. And you're just directing your attention in, in the way that you would do in meditation, you know, direct your attention to your breathing or loving kindness or whatever kind of meditation you're doing. You're directing your attention to the page, which is exactly why I think positive emotions are a lovely way of, of practicing journaling, because it really gives you a point of focus rather than just scribbling, 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 you know, which as I, I want to stress that that has its place. Absolutely. I think if that's if that's a way that you've practiced writing and it's been really helpful for you, I'd never say don't do that. But what about every now and again, you try sort of directing your attention in the way that you would like it to go and focusing on on, as I said, the things that you want more of in your life that are, that are already going well. So there's a really interesting area of, of psychology called appreciative inquiry. And it's mainly used in kind of organizational psychology and corporations, which is not my area at all. But I think it's such a shame because it's a really fascinating way of looking at kind of human systems. And it, and it applies to the individual as well. And it just it does what it says on the tin. It's appreciative inquiry. So it's so in an organization, you'd go in and say, right, what's going well here in this team or in this wider corporation? Mm. How could we do how could we do a bit more of that? And yeah, as I said, I just don't think it's something that we do enough in our own lives. We could just end up going on going on autopilot and and you know not not really checking in with ourselves and checking in as you said comparing it to their dream style series that I did like what's me here what do what, you know how do I want to curate and do more of this wonderful stuff that makes me me and is going to guide me where I want to go in my life it's funny because kind of the the premise of it has me nodding along but then when I stop and actually imagine myself doing it like okay I'm gonna because I have a journaling app on my computer that pops up at a certain time every day and prompts me to write Mm. the idea of sitting and writing positively feels like kind (laughs) of kind of a radical act like really yeah maybe it's because I'm very British um, I mean, I want to do it. It makes me really want to do it. But the idea of of being positive about what's going right, I think we're not very good at talking about that. We're, we tend to shy away from it generally. I think so. And again, I just think it's such a shame. There's that kind of adage of kind of checking in with your with your own thought pattern. And, and I don't know if you've heard of Kristen Nash. She does lovely research on self-compassion and how we can often be our, our own harshest critics kind of thing. And one of the things that she really promotes is talking to yourself, you know, whether it's on the page or just in your mind, as you would to a friend. So if, if a friend came to you and said, oh, you know, I'm thinking of changing my career, nah, 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 we wouldn't kind of harp on about all the, all the negative, <laughs> negative things in that, or no, you mustn't change it because of this and this and this, or this will probably go wrong, or that, you know, we'd say, no, actually, I think that's that's probably a really good move for you. And what have you considered it from this angle? And yeah, and it's how funny can I support it's, it's, you? <laughs> yeah. How can I support you? How can we go, you know, in a good direction with this? Yeah, and I just think it's it's such a shame that we don't do that more with ourselves. Why sh- shouldn't we? You know, there is the analogy often that, that a journal is kind of like a friend. It's like a confidant. But then, if if all you're doing it and I should say that one of the reasons that I, I came into this area is I've always written and I've always journaled. And I found, you know, I kept a journal through my teenage years and you could only imagine <laughs> the, angst, the angst and the woe that was in that journal. And I remember, you know, well before I even embarked on the research or even thought that my life was going to go in this direction, of course, obviously I was I was heading there. But I remember opening a journal and just because, of course, 
you read yourself in a journal. You don't only write about your life. You read about your own life because you go back and flick through the pages. And if all that is there as a record of your life is your woe and your angst, your journal can just be a really dreary place to yeah. spend time. And I, you know, I don't really have an interest in in a practice that feels that dire. You know, I absolutely like to freely express myself if I'm having issues, but that has to be balanced because life is not just challenge. Life is a lot of other wonderful things that we kind of get distracted by and forget to take note of. And then we we, we kind of forget that all that great stuff is going on when we go back to our journal. So it's a good way of kind of reminding yourself of the positive things that are going on. In, and it's reminding me again of what you said about it being similar to Instagram. Yeah. Because isn't it lovely? Isn't it lovely to just scroll back through Instagram? Like, I remember that lovely day when we went to the river with so-and-so, something that you might have just forgotten about altogether. And there's been research in this area, you know, even when people write down really, you know, seemingly trivial things. You know, I met my, you know, my sister for a cup of tea or something, you know, so trivial on the surface of it. But these are this is the stuff of life. This is the good stuff. Let's, <laughs> let's uh, record it. And I think, yeah, in these studies, when they looked, you know, the participants in these kind of journaling exercises looked back, they were saying, you know, actually, it brings me so much joy in this moment now to remember that moment from the past. So it's kind of a, a way of savouring also. So it's not just that perspective change that we're talking about in it being a meditative act, but it's it's savouring the positive things that happen too. It's reminding me of a study that I can't remember the full details of, but I've referenced previously in relation to Instagram, the same kind of thing that it, it found that the more people went back and revisited the happy memories, the more satisfied they felt with their life overall. Yeah. Which is definitely what Instagram does for me. If I scroll back, I'm like... And what am I complaining about? Look at my lovely life. I'm so lucky. Absolutely. Actually, there's um, so my a lot of my research is based on the research of uh, a wonderful scientist called Barbara Fredrickson. You may have heard of her. She's quite big in, in the sort of positive psychology field. And she's spent her career researching positive emotions. And her core theory is called the broaden and build model or broaden and build theory. And it, it kind of describes what you what you just kind of detailed there, which is that when we when we recognize and experience or savor our positive emotions, we get into this kind of upward spiral where we, because we feel positive, remembering the positive thing, we're more open to, to more positive experiences. Oh. And then it's this sort of like domino effect that happens where we, we quite literally broaden our minds. So she's got loads of um, studies and research in this area. So we literally broaden our minds in the sense that we consider more options, we're uh, more open-minded, we're less biased to other people when we're sort of in that positive frame of mind it makes so much sense if you think about it like one of the things I actually talk about in the book is is that the word emotion has has that word within it motion so our emotions move us to do certain things so typically negative emotions are kind of they move us away so they shut us down if we're afraid or if we're sad we kind of shrivel up and close up mm-hmm. but if we're feeling love or we're feeling joy or we're feeling awe those are very opening emotions which make us you know more aware of potential for experience but open to learning and that kind of thing and so so it's broadened in that sense and then build in the sense that there's a whole you know gamut of of positive psychological resources that we're building when when we become open like that like self-efficacy that I mentioned before or good you know good relationships with others bonding with others you know and and it becomes this real domino effect once you start noticing and savoring positive emotions and experiencing them more you then experience them more so it's 
I just think it's such a if you can't tell I'm just so passionate about it as a, a topic especially because as you mentioned it's it's not a British thing at all is it and we're quite cynical about the idea of being happy and we kind of sneer at it in a way <laughs> yes. and I think one reason for that one one reason I've pondered on as to why we do that is is happiness can be a kind of whitewashing word because it mm. you know it's not one thing happiness it's it's so many others which is why I, I focus on this range so there's eight positive emotions that are in the book that even even eight just scratches the surface of how we experience positivity and you know the feeling of serenity is totally different to the feeling of joy but they're both really positive experiences so I think um when you start to kind of unravel it as a word you realize it's not it's not just this kind of you know put a grin on everything and this sort of thing that we've come to mm-hmm. <laughs> distrust British people kind of uh, teasing out the nuances a little bit so how do we get started obviously uh, we can pick up a copy of your book but what counts as, as journaling what counts as journaling that's a really interesting question I think because you mentioned having an app on your phone I'm a really big supporter of pen and paper journaling just because I think it has more of that effect of what we were talking about that slightly more meditative effect mm. in that it slows us down bit more quiet you know there's so few opportunities actually to write by hand nowadays that why not it's just just sort of nostalgic you get to buy a nice notebook (laughs) and a good pen (laughs) although that's you make an interesting point there actually with buying a nice notebook because one thing I find that people do when I when I talk about this is um and I've done this in the past is you think right I'm gonna journal this is gonna be my new practice (laughs) so I better go and get a really really special journal and then you go and get this lovely cloth bound something and and then suddenly freeze up because you've got this first blank Mm. page and this lovely expensive notebook that you've bought and then you think oh gosh okay what am I going to say and then there's all this self-censorship stuff that comes up because you think oh well this is going to be in the attic for one of my great great grandchildren (laughs) to discover and I better not say anything you know too off the wall I I don't want to spoil the book with like doing it wrong I know I think we all have that experience and and we all have kind of we associate writing with maybe being at school or essays or things like that we kind of judge our penmanship or whatever it is it's all these things that get in our way which for me I think if it's not facilitating your practice it's not a good tool so if if you've got a lovely journal and you don't feel that you can you're able to make a mess there or you're able to just be honest about what life's thrown at you or you know talk really frankly within its pages then I don't necessarily think it's it's a great tool because that's ultimately what journaling should do so even though I have this more positive twist on it as it were I still really am an advocate for for self-expression in a, in a very free way because I think that's at the key of, of writing supporting our well-being if we feel stunted or if we feel hemmed in then it's it's not going to be you know a pleasant experience either the the positive emotions are meant to kind of lift it and make it an even more enjoyable practice not to kind of um make you feel that you have to write in a certain way so I think it's interesting because everybody comes at journaling from a totally different angle as I said some people will have tried it now and again maybe the when they were going through a really tough time maybe people would do it because they think it's a really good kind of self-development tool or self-motivation or way of organizing their time but my my angle on it is really that it should just be a joy and a pleasure and so whatever facilitates that facilitates your self-expression and and making it a really pleasurable supportive practice in your life whether that be you know if it is a lovely cloth bound notebook and you feel you can overcome that kind of <laughs> pressure to 
get it right, then lovely, do that. If you feel that you have to write it on a little ripped off bit of cereal box in the in the morning with a you know nub of a pencil or something, do that. If it's on a coffee shop napkin, do that. If it's a reporter's pad, whatever facilitates your self-expression and your positivity then that's the way to do it so if that does end up being an app or you know you find you're more likely to do it if you're going to write it on your computer then by all means do that but I would say give it a go with the old pen and paper if you can I like this it's giving me an excuse to dig out my nice pen as well (laughs) (laughs) and I think this is this is something actually that I that is still with me from Sherrod is is the idea of just doing your life your way and I think we're all we are all seeking kind of guidance and and ways to do things and I have loads of ideas about how we can journal but ultimately the best practices have to be autonomous in the sense that you have to take ownership of them you have to feel that you're you're doing it for you and your own reasons and the more you can put your own stamp on it do it in your own way you know at the times that suit you or in in the style that suits you I think it's always going to be more effective whereas if you just adopt a practice by wrote you know just as as it's been described to you word for word then it can feel a bit dry it doesn't feel like you so Mm -hmm. so I think make make it your own however that feels right for you (laughs) so is it best to be something that we do daily how much time do people need to be dedicating to it well again there's no need (laughs) anytime it feels like a chore or it's a drag then stop doing it because I hate the idea of people journaling and thinking oh I, sh- I really should I should journal Megan today. will be cross <laughs> with me if I don't get my journal done. <laughs> Megan will be on the phone why have you not done it today I haven't checked in I personally slightly fluctuate between maybe once a week or two to three times a week depending what's going on in my life so if it's a particularly busy period then I, I'm not journaling so much but I notice the difference when I'm not let's just say that for me personally that that practice of checking in and you know not necessarily recording all the details in that typical diary kind of way of today I met so and so and we did this because that if I ever try and do that because you know there have been moments where I thought oh what if this does end up being a record that my great-grandchild finds in the attic <laughs> and I think oh I better, I better say what I was up to but that's that's the kind of writing that I do tend to find a bit more laborious so I kind of just maybe say a few facts and then I get into the nitty-gritty of how I'm feeling about it or how I want it to change in a certain way or how how I want to celebrate a certain area of my life or whatever it might be and so I think the ideal I think for me is if I'm doing it about two or three times a week but again as I said it might be a little bit less for you it might be a bit more often I'd say in the first instance maybe try doing it a few times a week because if it's easier to build the habit then if you're Mm. kind of keeping it up if you leave it leave your notebook whatever or your bit of cereal box or whatever it is you're going to write on leave it by your bedside or something somewhere where you know you're going to sit and, and have a chance to do it or you know even in the car or something and then when you get that five minutes because you're five minutes early for work or you're five minutes early home or something you know sometimes the car might be the only place where you have a bit of peace to yourself wherever you think you're likely to kind of have a moment to do it um keep your journal there and then there's sort of less less in the way but again just think about how can I make journaling the most pleasurable and joyous that it could possibly be for me maybe I'll light a candle maybe I'll do it first thing in the morning maybe I'll be snuggled up in bed with a blanket maybe I'll go and do it in the garden or you know have a think about that have a think about what do I want my practice to be how do I want to make it wonderful in my life and suited to my life and then start there did you have any of your participants go through a difficult time while they were trying to do the positive journaling yes 
of course, because <laughs> they were human people and we're all having difficult, it's a great question because we're all having difficult, you know, things that are going on all the time. So there was, there was one participant whose marriage was ending, there was one participant who was having fertility issues, there was one participant who was just having, not, you know, standard gripes with her family kind of thing, and there was one participant who, who didn't find that it was particularly helpful, the, the format of, of the intervention, so it's not like this is a, you know, a cure-all for people, it's really just an extra tool in, in the arsenal, but for those who... I think it's the, the key, again, with this thing of, of embracing it for those, and, and making it a pleasure and taking charge of it and making it an autonomous practice. For those that you know, did that a bit more, who thought, right, I'm really going to give this a go, even if they were going through these really troubling experiences, actually some of it was really beautiful. There was one woman who, whose father had a terminal illness, and I remember, I think this passage is in the book, because sort of, the case studies are in the book, and um, she she. So she was supporting her father through this illness and she on one of the days she chose serenity and she talked about how that was just really an emotion that she needed that day. So it wasn't an emotion that she even necessarily felt that she was able to feel. She was just acknowledging I need I need this now, um, which is such a powerful thing in and of itself. Yeah. You know, it's like developing emotional intelligence or you know what am I feeling what do I what do I need to feel what do I want to feel where can my emotions take me and you know describe that that after a really fraught kind of troublesome day coping with the illness of her father just to have a moment a quiet moment in her bedroom just sitting with herself in her journal and her pen and no demands on her she found it a particularly positive thing which, which is why I again have the range of emotions in there because were she just keeping a, a gratitude journal mm. you know what a difficult thing to, to write <laughs> well, actually it would just feel perhaps really null and void or maybe even make you feel worse to you know to be going through such a difficult time and write what you were grateful for you know it might help it absolutely might help there was a Another participant who, the one I mentioned whose marriage was ending, she um, did choose gratitude on one of the days and, and she found that really helpful because her, uh, she, she realized she had all these friends and relationships in her life which were supporting her and it's really kind of almost more important to do these things when we're going through troubling times because that's, that's when we need, these emotions are the core of our relationships they're the core of our coping skills all these sort of positive psychological resources that we need to help us to support us through through the difficult time not to put a happy face on it and pretend that everything's okay to somebody else or to kind of get over it on a, on a time scale that suits somebody else it's to say hmm okay how can I sort of draw up my own resources to help myself through this troubling time or to support those I love through this troubling time so I think it absolutely can can support us through difficult periods again if if we use it in such a way that we're compassionate with ourselves and patient with ourselves and not feeling these shoulds that we were talking about <laughs> like, really should. I really should write about this awful thing in a positive way. No, that's, you know, obviously that's not going to feel nice. Write about everything you feel in relation to whatever's going on for you. 
But then that word I used earlier that was that was said by one of the participants, just be anchored by, you know, just as a kindness to yourself, be anchored by those positive emotions, even if it's just, as I said, what you need, even if it's not what you feel you can <laughs> actually access in the moment, you know, just saying, hmm, I need this now and, and just work from there as a starting point. It's like reminding yourself that those emotions still exist when, when they feel out of reach. Yeah, of course. And I think this is another reason why we should record them because, Negative emotions feel so overwhelming. And I think this is why, as I was saying earlier, people often feel drawn to write in a journal when when things are going wrong, because negative emotions sort of swamp us, don't they? If we feel furious or we feel, you know, total angst or absolute grief, those are, you know, those are emotions that absolutely like topple us over backwards and we can't help but take notice of those emotions. Whereas positive emotions are much more fleeting. So they kind of just ah, flutter by like a little mm. butterfly, um, land on our shoulder for a moment and then flutter off, which is precisely why we should make more of them when they do happen and notice them and savor them. And you, I, I really feel that when you when you start a practice like this of noticing in a kind of retrospective way, you really start to notice those, those tiny little positive moments just and how they're sprinkled through your day. Like I was saying earlier, the smallest thing, just like a, a cup of tea with, with a really good friend or family member, or, you know, just bonding, you know, a moment of bonding with your child or a, something going really well at work or whatever it is, these tiny little moments that are sprinkled through our lives, but that we don't tend to notice in the way that we do notice our negative emotions because we cannot help but notice those emotions. So it's sort of redressing the balance. Right. And because we remember our negative emotions so well as well, don't we? Like, I'm sure you'll be really familiar with, I'm sure there's research about how we like remember negative emotions much more strongly or negative experiences much more than we do positive ones. I'm sure I've seen something in some pop science reference to that. Yeah, absolutely. It's often called the negativity bias, I think. But also I think it's really important to not look at it as this kind of binary where there's negative emotions and there are positive emotions because although those are helpful terms to throw around, the emotional experience of being a human is much more complex <laughs> than that, isn't it? So you know, we, we cry tears of joy, for example. What's going on there? All the emotions <laughs> are happening there, you know? So it's, it's, I like to think of it as kind of these cocktails of emotions. Like we're never usually just feeling one emotion in isolation at one time. They come in little clusters, which which is another reason to um, unpick the nuances of them in with a practice such as a journal. Figuring out the recipe. <laughs> quite yeah what's going on here I've got a dash of this a dash of serenity yeah. a wrinkle of joy and a little bit of sadness for good measure I think my emotional cocktails are quite potent they're strong ones well absolutely and I think creative people that's often the way isn't it and and you know uh, negative emotions are beautiful and I think that's why mm, using the expression negative emotions suggest that they're bad in some way and of course they're not bad they're absolutely part of the human experience and we can make you know beautiful art out of our negative emotions we can bond with others through negative emotions too if we sort of feel empathy for someone else's sadness if it's similar to our own you know all emotions are worthy and valid I just think that there tends to be this slight focus on the, on the negative emotions mm. as, as more serious serious ones those are the serious emotions <laughs> yeah. they do the important job and the other things are just sort of frivolous pastimes if you've got time you could ha you could feel a bit of joy in there too and it's it's flipping that on its head and saying 
No, the positive emotions are really important too. And and one way that people often talk about positive psychology is is when it's really done its job, we won't need to talk about it as positive psychology anymore. I mean, the reason it sprang up as a a field of study, psychology, rightly so, had to focus on kind of putting out all fires in terms of Mm. everything that was going wrong, you know, and how do we fix this? And and as a field, it developed in in this awful century where we had two world wars and, you know, the threat of nuclear war and it was all going a bit wrong. So, of course, we needed a field to understand the things that were going wrong. And positive psychology has kind of come along at the beginning of a new century to say, okay, things are a little bit less precarious, uh, at least in terms of our short term survival. (laughs) What, you know, what's also going right here and how can those tools help us to you know, uh, fight the fires even better. Yeah, almost like a preventative measure before you get to the point of crisis, hopefully. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. So there's Martin Seligman, he's a psychologist who's often heralded as kind of the father of positive psychology. And one of the things he says is, is perhaps, you know, this, is, this isn't a proven theory or anything, but that feeling sad and depressed and glum is not a, a kind of, or a lack of positive emotion is not a, a side effect of things like depression, which is, of course, the kind of uh, world health crisis that we're facing. Depression, you know, scales of depression are always increasing. It's not a kind of side effect of that, but perhaps it's cause. So this thing of what I was mentioning earlier of not experiencing positive emotions or not savoring them when they happen, not noticing them when they happen, is, is almost like not taking our vitamins or something and then getting unwell. Not that, oh, I've got depression and now I don't feel any positive emotions. It's like, oh no, a lack of positive emotions in my life has caused me to feel this way. And I think it's interesting to think of it in terms of vitamin C. So the body doesn't store vitamin C. So we have to have a a good source of vitamin C every day. So other other vitamins like B12, the body stores it. So you're okay if you don't get some on a certain day. But if we don't get vitamin C on a certain day, you know, then um, we're in trouble. And that's an important source that we need to keep topping up. And positive emotions are a bit like that. That, as I was saying, they're so fleeting and they're so they seemingly so tiny and fragile that it's important we we add them into the mix of our daily life and not forget about them until it's too late and we're in crisis mode and suddenly life's crumbling all around us and we don't know how to cope with it because we haven't noticed these these tools you know they really are important tools that we have to support ourselves not something that we should apply to ourselves because the magazine told us to or you know that we're supposed to put a happy face on on unpleasant circumstances it's to look at them as tools that we have inherently to support ourselves I love it so (laughs) I do I love it I love the I'm I'm excited (laughs) to go and start doing it you mentioned to me just before we got on this call that you wrote the book while you were doing your PhD how was the experience for you as someone who writes a journal who writes creatively how did you find writing a book I think I was in such a kind of frenzy of I want this book to exist I I always didn't (laughs) pay attention to how I was feeling as I was writing it and I was I was lucky in one way and also unfortunate in another way that I had published the the study upon which the book is based so I had this kind of uh, whatever it was 7,000 word document Um, and I say I was lucky because you know I had this starting point and this was a study these were the findings I'm going to write the book around this but then also unfortunate because it was in this very typical kind of dry scientific language <laughs> which you know is not the best way to put across your ideas so I had to unravel all this sort of scientifically dry way of speaking in in, in the abstract and think about mm, how could this actually apply to people's lives how can I bring this alive and and 
I love nonfiction as a form when it when we apply the techniques of fiction. So I think the best nonfiction uses metaphor and it uses analogies and it really paints the picture for us mm. and brings it alive with the sort of techniques that we normally associate with fiction. So I had some fun with that as well. I, I used the opening of each chapter to to sort of use a little analogy for what that emotion uh, represented in our lives. And then I had the more kind of, you know, in inverted commas, science-y bit where I talk about a few studies around that emo- that particular emotion. But in terms of the actual process of writing it, it was quite regimented. And I'm not really a regimented person, <laughs> but I, just, I was just, obviously I was, I was juggling it with my research and most of my days were taking up taken up with research but I just I can't really describe it I just got this fire beneath me well we were mentioning before the call I I knew that I was going to turn 30 in a couple of years and I really wanted that was one of my big goals was to have a book out and I thought I've wanted to do this for years why am I not just doing it and so it was I just kind of had a stern word with myself really (laughs) you don't do it now you're not going to do it Meg so just start and then I had so I had this real like kind of checkbox system where I would I was getting up extra early again not something I normally do I'm quite I'm not a morning person generally um but I thought if I don't make this extra time in my life to do it I never will so so I thought well better get up an hour earlier then and then I've got an hour a day to work on it and as I said that's just absolutely not who I am in in normal life (laughs) so I, I think it was really just this fear of I'd be so disappointed in myself if I didn't achieve this goal that has been my sort of lifelong goal so far um, and that somehow gave me the motivation to just to just power through and you said you turned 30 in November in November so yeah you've nailed so it I've kept myself to the face and we're also mentioning I've got another book coming out in November so I've even I've even outdone my own goals so that that was really quite magic that one was a bit more um it sort of uh, landed in my lap. It's called The Happiness Passport, A World Tour of Joyful Living in 50 Words. And it's very similar to other work that I've done in terms of it looks at words and language and how how they represent different ways of feeling happy cross-culturally. So that one's out in November. That sounds right up my street as well. I need, <laughs> I need that one too. <laughs> it's an illustrated, an illustrated book as well. So it's really another kind of beautiful, tactile, lovely object lovely kind of gift book as well as having lots of useful information in it I hope well and this is what I love as well about your work is something we talk about quite a lot on this podcast how sometimes the different parts of your journey or your kind of your work or your education don't seem like they add up to a job until you make Mm. that job for yourself and it feels like kind of now looking back at what you've done so far it's all led you to here to creating these beautiful tactile really accessible books but that are also Mm -hmm. very practical and are also you know they've got that scientific backing which I love because I think there can be a lot of woo and a lot Mm. of theory in this field but it's really nice to have some evidence-backed stuff as well yeah absolutely I think um it is it's interesting to me to look back because as I was you know choosing what to do with my life just like with anybody else it was sort of series of arbitrary decisions in some ways that kind of just knocked on one to the next knocked on one to the next and I think I do you know I'm I've been extremely privileged and lucky you know not only to be born where I was at the time that I was but but particularly with my parents they've always really encouraged me to 
just do, just do what I was really interested in and follow my nose. And I absolutely know that that's not the way everybody's brought up. So I'm, I feel really grateful for that. But um, it just, yeah, you know, on paper, it didn't make any sense. So A, go and do a degree in creative writing. You know, that's, that's not going to get you anywhere, like lowest paid uh, job you can imagine. And then just kind of think, huh, now I'll do a master's in positive psychology. <laughs> How do those two fit together? Seemingly not at all. And I think, yeah, you have to kind of trust in yourself a bit in a way that I know is really tricky for a lot of people to do because mm. there are bills to pay and a lot of pressure in life and life seems to become increasingly more precarious and rents are becoming unaffordable and that you know I've gone through periods of my life where things just become more and more expensive and I've been in jobs that I didn't like and I think the only the only reason that I've been able to see all these projects come to fruition is that I sort of you know that it's a bit of an overused expression but that thing of kind of just following your bliss or this thing of Mm. what's really good in life what do I really love when am I really in my element and how can I do as much of that as possible in my life you know so if you sort of start from there you know even if you're in a job that you don't like or things aren't ideal how you would choose them to be if you can just make a little bit more space in your life for the things that do make you feel amazing or the the work that does fill you with joy or the projects that you really want to commit your life to if you could just take a little bit more space in your day for that and then five minutes more the next day and then oh what if I did that job then I'd have a bit more time to do this and it's really a gradual process that come you know over years and years and years and keep your mind open and you know I didn't necessarily imagine that I would do a PhD but then the, the opportunity was there and I thought well you know, I get to spend three years researching a topic that I'm really passionate about. So that'll be lovely. And, you know, having a trust in the process is a wonderful quotation. I think it's by the, I think it's by the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who I never can quite pronounce his name, but it's um, that life must be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards. So it's the, the idea of looking back and making sense of things, which is, again, a lovely reason to keep a journal because yeah. I, the journal I write in at the moment, I've actually had for, I think, five years or so. So it was at, at, on the tail end of my my first blog that we were talking about. And I just finished uni and I had that kind of slump that a lot of people have when they come out of uni and they're out of education for the first time. And, oh, what? I have to have a job. That's really boring. <laughs> I have to pay this extortionate rent. Oh, that's also really boring. I don't want to do that. I'm feeling really frustrated with myself and, and that I, my life wasn't where I wanted it to be. And there's this entry, I think it was like 22 or 23. And I'm like, why am I not making money doing all the things that I'm really passionate about? <laughs> and now, now I look back and I think, oh, why did you put so much pressure on yourself? you silly little girl you know 23 it's no problem that you weren't doing that you were you were on the path so it's another really lovely thing about a journal because it helps you reflect you see I sometimes compare it to the breadcrumb trail of Hansel and Gretel you can kind of look back and see see the path that you plodded along and have really lovely insights for for the present day as well I feel like what you just described is dream style so we've come right back to the beginning (laughs) very lovely (laughs) so where can people find more of your work if they want to dive in so the book is for uh, pre-orders on amazon it comes out on thursday 2nd of august but the links for that are on positivejournal.org i've also got an e-course there that um, you can download if you're interested in finding out more about the the theory behind the concept of positive journaling i got some free um, worksheets that you can download there that are just kind of fun easy ways to get started so yeah positivejournal.org everything you will need will be there 
and your Instagram handle or is Instagram not really where you hang out? I do hang out on Instagram. I'm at megan.c.hayes. It's not it's not my main platform, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, by no, I'm by no means uh, in your territory with Instagram. But it's a, as I said, it's a lovely place where I do kind of curate my experiences. So I'd love to see people there too. megan.c.hayes. Fantastic. Megan, thank you so much. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. So we recorded this a couple of weeks ago and Megan's book that she mentions is now out. It's called Write Yourself Happy and I will link to where you can buy it in the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 51. Also, if you're enjoying this show, you might want to know about the new podcast that I've started to record with Jen Carrington. It's called Letters from a Hopeful Creative and you can find it in your favorite podcast app just by typing in Hopeful Creative. It should come up. We are taking letters from people with creative dilemmas and answering them from our experiences as coaches. There's already five or six episodes sat there waiting for you to listen to and it's been getting a really lovely response. So if you do enjoy the show, give it a listen and let me know what you think. As always, thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Mm -hmm.